You've been given a bulletin, and on the front of the bulletin there is an image, uh, which is um, really uh, a defining image for what we're going to be doing for the next few weeks. And, and that is discovering Jesus in disguise. Do you guys know what that image is? Anybody tell me? Have you ever seen one before? You ever heard of a magic eye? No? Whoa, man, I feel old. Um, a magic eye is, is an image that that has a very consistent pattern through it. And if you put your nose up against it and you let your eyes rest and you pull back and your eyes even go a little bit cross-eyed as you pull back, some of you will likely see an image. And in this case, I'll just go ahead and, and get the cat out of the bag. It's an image of Jesus. Anybody see it? All right, so I, we're not lying, Brittany. It's not a conspiracy against you, okay? She, she's not been able to see it, and it's been so fun because, you know, usually she's so bossy and stuff, and now we're getting over on her. So this is pretty awesome. Yeah, Brian's like, I don't see it. Then he saw it, then he's like, oh, yeah, I can see it. And then he went to all these different angles, and he's like, I see it here, and I see it there. We'll be nice because it's church. But if you see it, then it's hard to unsee it, isn't it? Because once it's there, it's just there. And if you can't see it, that's okay because it's not going to really determine whether or not, you know, you're with God forever or not. So just give yourself permission to say, I can't see it, but I can do other things that you probably can't do, and I'm okay with that. But what I'd like for you to do is just consider for a second, um, you know, we had this with the last group of people. I started to talk and everybody was so focused on that that it was like, I had to say, like my, my wife who's a school teacher, focus up here. Um, and I'm not trying to be narcissistic, I'm just saying that that's why we're here in this moment for the next uh, uh, few minutes is to just look at how Jesus unfolds uh, his, uh, his presence into, into your life and mine because I honestly believe that a lot of us have heard the name Jesus. We even heard the name Jesus Christ used in all kinds of contexts. And many of us in the course of our experience with him have walked away with the question, who is Jesus and why does he really matter? And if he is so important, is he really able to help me with things I have going on in my life? And I can say that the answer to that question is yes and then I would like to work backwards into why. And what I'd like to do for uh, the next three weeks anyway is look at the book of Mark. And we're looking at the first chapter. And what it is is a description all in the confines of a single chapter of pretty much everything that Jesus is all about. And I hope, my prayer is as I'm doing this message series, that for those of you who are saying, God, I, I want to see you better I want to see you in my life. I want to hear you speak. I want you to take the disguise that you're in and I want you to unveil your presence to me. And I, I think that's honestly how he works. Uh, he comes close. We're not even aware that he's there. But there are little clues that kind of point us to him. And once we sort of match the clues, we see the picture. Now, when God came into the, into the equation of humanity... Um, he, um, he, he, he did it a number of ways. Uh, first of all, he was in the garden with Adam and Eve, and they could see him clearly. But as soon as they began to point their compass in another direction, that's when 
he sort of turned invisible. It wasn't that he hasn't been there the whole time. It's just that our capability to see him has diminished to such a degree that some of us were not even aware that he's been there the whole time. And what he did was, he said, I want to set it up so that you can recapture a sense of my presence in your life. That you can begin to see me once again like they used to see me. But it's going to take a while. And he began a long process that took literally hundreds and thousands years of making himself known, first of all, through people like um, uh, Noah and then Abraham and on through into the Old Testament, um, David and, and Moses, of course, and then into the prophets. And he kept saying, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. And people would see him kind of, but not really. And then finally God said, all right, if you want to see the face of God, there is no better way for you to understand who I am than for me to come into your world like one of you and display my character in such a way that it is just undoubtable that you have seen the face of God. And the good news is we see the face of God in the face of Jesus. And maybe you've seen him, maybe you haven't. But the Bible's actually given us four biographies called the Gospels that are there to begin to unfold for our eyes to see that image of what the face of God looks like. And if you pay careful attention, you find that those four stories called the Gospels begin to speak to you. And as we, um, as we begin the message today, I'm going to uh, turn your attention to the book of Mark. And if you have a Bible and you want to follow along in the Bible, please feel free. Uh, we have pew Bibles and so forth. Or we're going to just project it on the screen. And the message today is coming from the first chapter. And I'm going to probably do something a little bit differently. I'm just going to read it line by line. And hopefully in such a way that as you're hearing it, it begins to create a picture that takes shape uh, in, your, in your heart and mind. So if you're game for that... Let's go ahead and turn there in Mark chapter 1. Um, this is how Mark phrased it. And he very carefully said what he did so that we would see at the end of this chapter three things. We would see um, the face of God in Jesus. We would see what it means to be a disciple. And thirdly, and perhaps most importantly, we would see how the face of evil is defeated by the face of God. There's a very powerful cosmic tension of good versus evil that emerges here. And at the end of chapter 1, we discover that we don't have to fear evil. That there is one on our side in such a way that um, it, it revolutionizes our approach to life. So here's how John phrased it. He said, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, that is the message of the face of God being revealed to humanity, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And then John appeared, Jesus' cousin, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And I'm just going to stop right there before I read any farther because in setting this up, you need to know this. Um, when Jesus shows up, oftentimes we don't initially see him. We can only begin to experience the effect of him. And in your life and mine at some point, 
I can guarantee you, Jesus has spoken through another person. He has spoken through the circumstances that you're in. He's spoken through your pain. He's spoken through perhaps you've been in the hospital bed and there was a Christian nurse or doctor. He's spoken through them. All these little clues are ways of putting signposts on your path so that it shows up that, yeah, God's pointing me somewhere and I'm starting to piece it together. And that's Jesus saying, I am just showing up. But here's how he really shows up. And that is when there are things in our life that we know are not right, but we're not necessarily bold enough to tell other people, but they nag at us constantly. Something that we did, something that we thought, something that we didn't do that we were supposed to do is weighing down on us in a type of weight that is defined by guilt and shame. And sometimes I think God says, you've, you've done really well over here, but over here, you're doing something and it's messing your life up. And how do I know it's messing your life up? Because it is creating its own form of torment. It is creating its own anxiety. It is creating its own, its own fearfulness, its own worry, its own um, regret. And if you are a person who has that stuff nagging in your life, God is actually setting you up or allowing you to be set up to see the face of his son. When John the Baptist was told to make straight the path of the Lord, it was a way of saying, help people to gather in such a way that they begin to think about the Lord coming into their life. And if you're like me, if I knew the Lord was coming into this room in about an hour, I'd start thinking about the things that weren't right in our relationship and how I need to sort them out. And that's exactly what God is doing in your life. He's saying, you've ran off track a little bit, and I want to try to help you see my face. But the thing that has led you off track is the thing that's keeping you from seeing me. Did you catch that? All of us, I think, in the room can sincerely say, God is important. And we want to come close to God. But all of us also know that there are things that we think, things that we do, maybe habits that we have, ways of responding to people that aren't right. And God, he kind of nags us a little bit about it and says, I'm not giving you peace about this because it is a barrier between you and I. We need to sort it out. Because when you do, then you'll be able to see me more clearly. And so John the Baptist preaches a baptism of repentance. And you're like, that is strange. Why would you say preach a baptism of repentance? Because Jesus is coming. And people are saying, God's been working on me. He's been showing up. He's been allowing my conscience to kind of nag at me. And I need to sort it out. And so everybody's saying, John the Baptist is baptizing people in the desert, let's go. Here's the problem. You see, all these people were saying that the religious institution as we've known it is, it's just not getting it done. I'm not really interested in going there. The religious institution in Jesus' day had essentially said, yeah, you can come to God, but it is only through us. And there are three, 
three things that you have to comply with or you have to understand. That God can only speak to your world if you come to the temple and possibly the synagogue. If you filter what you need to sort out through a priest. And then finally, if you offer a sacrifice. And the religious leaders of the day had thought that the world is such a, it is such a jacked up place and it is such a mess that we've got to keep the things of God safe and pure from that. And so there are gatekeepers that have been stationed so that you can't get too close to God unless you sort out all of this stuff. And many people were saying, look, I believe in God. You know, person knocks on their door and says, I just got a couple of questions for a survey what we're doing. Uh, the first one is, do you believe in God? And the person would say, uh, yes, I do believe in God. And then the second question would be, do you go to church? And the person would say, uh, no, not really. Every once in a while, but I, I'm not, that's not my thing. And, and, the third, and the third question may be, would you go to church... If the way that church was presented to you helped you with your deepest needs. And then you might have that person's interest. But the chances are they would stay away from the things of God, not because they didn't want God, but because the way that the religious structure is set up, they're thinking, that's a pretty high bar. And I probably am not good enough to make that bar. So I'll have to just set out the God thing as a secondary, second-class citizen. You ever feel that way? Like you're not quite good enough? Well, evidently a lot of people did because the scripture says here that people were coming from all over Jerusalem and Judea, flocking not into the religious institution, but into the desert where God was showing up. And, but that's how God is. God, you know, with God, when he comes into your world, what's up becomes down and what's down becomes up. What's inside becomes outside and outside inside. What's right becomes left. And Jesus is showing us this is what happens. It is going to up in your world, but it is in a good way. And so when God says it is on, he doesn't start in the, in the central place like the religious institution. <laughs> he starts in the, in the wilderness. He says, I'm going to show up out there and I'm going to begin to come in here. Why in the wilderness? Because I have to be honest with you, before I was here, I was in the wilderness. And I was so thankful that God said, I'll show up in the wilderness and I'll show you signs. And eventually a year or two, you're pretty thick, Leonard, probably take five, you'll see the magic eye picture. You'll see Jesus and you'll know that I've got good things in store for you. So Mark is telling the people who are hearing the gospel for the first time, it's different with Jesus. And Jesus' cousin is saying, get baptized for the repentance of your sin. And what John was doing was just helping people with their conscience to just have some peace for a change. Because they weren't getting it from the religious institution of the day. And people were saying, we're on it, John. If that's all we get, that's, that's plenty. Because there's a lot of guilty people out there carrying a huge uh, truckload of, 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 of guilt and shame that they can't unload. And so John did his thing. And along comes this guy named Jesus who shows up for the first time. And as he shows up, he tells his cousin John... 
you need to baptize me. And John's a little bit of an insider in this whole thing. He knows that God's up to something with Jesus. And he says, you should probably be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, this is the way it begins. I get baptized and then a whole bunch of other people get baptized as well. And so Jesus, out of obedience to the process, out of obedience to the Father, says, this is the way the religious process is supposed to work. And it's not even about a religious process. This is the way that God begins to adopt people into his family. So Jesus complies. John takes him down into the water. He's baptized. He comes back up. And then you have this vision. Um, And I'll pick up um, at the bottom line there. I have baptized you with water, but... He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately, the scripture says, he saw the heavens being torn apart. And there is this place that we cannot see, that it is God's throne room where God and his angels are there just as clearly as we are here. We just don't have the capacity to see it. And they're looking down at us and they're seeing what's going on. And as they're viewing this vision, they see Jesus doing what he's supposed to do. And that is bring the face of God into the world of the people who couldn't see God otherwise. And when Jesus is baptized, there's a confirmation when the heavens open up that a dove comes down and the Holy Spirit begins to emerge in his life. All according to God's plan at the right time in the right way. And then a voice from heaven says, just to validate it, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And as you read that text, I want you to understand something. That when you begin to turn your life towards Jesus, he set it up. So that day can come when God looks at you and I and he says, this is my son, this is my daughter, whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. And you know who we'd be talking about? Each of you. Even though we're not perfect. What pleases God more than anything is the same thing that pleases any parent. And that is when a kid begins to follow the wisdom of their parents. Anybody ever have issues with that? Anybody follow the wisdom of your parents to the letter? Anybody say at some point, my parents are idiots? And then got a little bit older. And you said, man, these people are the brightest people on the world, on the planet. Because they figured out a lot of stuff that I'm not realistically figuring out. And God is saying, "It's, it's wonderful that you began to process your life through a vision that says I now see the face of God and I'm going to respond to everything in life through what what that face means to me and Jesus as the Holy Spirit descended upon him began to embody the very thing that the church and any religious institution should follow, should imitate and that is As Jesus was baptized and showed um, uh, that obedience and sonship, we ourselves follow the same way. And when we do, this is what happens. And I think we mentioned it when we had a baptism uh, just the other day. This. The Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. 
And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals. And the angels were ministering to him. Let me just say this. It is a wonderful transaction. It is a legal binding agreement when we surrender our, the authority of our lives to the authority of God, we are transferred out of the dominion of, of Lucifer himself and into the dominion of God's kingdom. It is, it is just, it is, it is in the Supreme Court. It's in the record. And because of that, there is a great deal of resistance that happens in that unseen realm, which appears to be just right below the surface in Mark's telling. That unseen realm that contains demons and Lucifer himself is looking at those that are saved and saying, we want to test you, we want to try you, we want to tempt you because we want you back. And God says, it'll happen. But be assured, I'm at work as well. And the Holy Spirit is there to enable you. The angels of God are working in ways that you cannot see. And perhaps protecting you from harm in ways that you can't imagine. I mean, you ever talk to somebody who was in a car wreck and you're like, man, you should have been dead. And it's like, I don't know what happened. Well, probably, probably a little divine assistance because it wasn't your time. And God is also saying, I also have now my church where we encourage one another in the process. So as the face of God begins to emerge in the lives of the people that are starting to pay attention, they realize that the religious institution in and of itself doesn't necessarily provide the answer, even though it could have. And Jesus began to um, proclaim the gospel of God and John was arrested. You know why? Well, you can't practice religion like that, John. You should know better. You can't tell people that they can do that. So immediately, of all people, the religious establishment is already set up against the purposes of God. And how do you know? By the fruit. If the fruits work in God's way, you know it's a thing of God. If the fruit's working against you in a way that is dehumanizing and perhaps leading you back to slavery, that's probably not the voice of God speaking through those religious people. So Jesus right out of the gate begins to proclaim the gospel of God. The face of God is displayed in my persona. But he was doing it not in a way that says, just look at me and here I am. He was saying the time is fulfilled. Everything that you've heard about is now realized in the kingdom of God, which I'm beginning to, uh, to expand through who I am here on earth. And so people repented. That is, they sorted it out because they wanted to get close. It wasn't like the guy... Or the person who, I can, it's almost like clockwork, I'll hear this. I would come to your church pastor, but you know what? The roof would fall in. Or variation, lightning would strike. Or, you know, the place would be flooded. And what God is saying is, not at all. When you come into this place, it's a way for God to say, I am so glad you're here. Because we've been on a rescue mission trying to orchestrate things in ways that you don't even realize for a very, very long time. And now, now you're beginning to see. 
There are other people that said, I know I'm not good enough, but I realized something. God isn't telling me that I have to be good enough. But what God is telling me is that if I keep crap and garbage in my life that is not of him and that's keeping me embedded in all of that stuff, God's saying, I want to get close, but I can't get too close. You need to sort this out. And there is a desire in us that says, I'm not trying to do this so that I can go to church. I'm not trying to do this so I can be good enough. I'm trying to do this so I can eliminate the barriers that are keeping God from getting close. God wants to get close, but he's a pure God. And just to kind of sort of fast forward the story all the way to the cross, the blood of Christ is a way of saying, I can make you pure as well. Well, Jesus said it is on. He's telling people to repent and to believe in the gospel. And passing along him, uh, along the side of the Sea of Galilee, he begins to take the substance of who he is. And you know what he does? He says, if people are going to be saved, I'm not going to just go into their world and zap them. I'm not going to just go and change their heart. I'm actually going to engage other people in the process. That's just the way God is. Chances are, a lot of people don't get saved, not because God doesn't want them to be saved, but he's given us a free will in such a way that he uses willing and obedient people to speak to their lives, to hopefully influence them and not override their will, but cause them to consider. And so he's going along the Sea of Galilee, and he sees some fishermen, and there's a guy named Simon... And there's his brother there with him. And it's just another day on the side of the sea, tending their nets, getting ready to hopefully have a stellar catch. And next year, same time, same place, same thing. You know why? Because in their mind, they're like, yeah, we believe in God for sure. But that whole temple thing and the way they have it set up, it don't work for us. We're just out here catching fish. And Jesus looked at him and said, follow me. And there's something about the way he said it. That when he said, I'll make you become fishers of men, they just said, that's what I'm talking about. Now what was it that was so compelling for those people to say, I'm religiously indifferent, even though I do believe in God, to... I'm going where he's going. Well, you know, there was a superstition, I guess you could say. There actually was a belief in the time that this was going on where there were gods, Greek gods, you know, Zeus and others that were in the pantheon. And what they would do in in the mythology and the thinking of the the street person was they would put a a net out there and they would try to catch people. And this is what people believed, that that there were were a few good gods who were trying to catch good people, and there were a whole bunch of nasty gods who were trying to catch people in their nets. And that was the imagery, and all you had to do was do something that was in alignment with their, their, their kind of darkness, or their kind of goodness. And when you did, that God would catch you up in the net. And what Jesus is saying is, when God reveals himself through me, it's a different game. This God wants to catch Everyone in his net. Because in the eyes of this God, everyone matters. 
And Jesus said, I want you to take your nets and I want you to become fishers of men alongside me. And they said, we're about that. And so he goes a little bit farther. He finds a couple other people doing the same thing. And he calls them. And they leave their father. And he's scratching his head. And he's wondering what got into those boys. And then as we, as we flip it over to the next page, um, we see Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants. And he said, you guys are on your own. We're following him. And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And I just want to just want to focus on the next sentence. And they were astonished at his teaching. It's like, yeah, another day in the synagogue, another another Sabbath teaching, another religious experience, another ritual. And then this guy comes in. And it's almost like God reverses the pattern because with Jesus, what is up is down and what's down is up and what's frontwards is backwards. Because all of a sudden you have somebody from way out in the desert coming into the synagogue to bring God. When the design should have been the synagogue is sort of the place that people go from to send God out into the desert. And there's a pattern in the book of Mark where this is just repeated over and over and over. Jesus and, 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 and those that are, are, are aligned with him are going from the far regions of the community or the city or the, or the country and they're bringing God into the places where God should have been to begin with. That's how messed up it is. But you know what I like about this? Is it's God's way of saying, I've already been out there where you've been. I get that territory. Matter of fact, I show up best in those places. But you got to be looking for me. And I wonder in your life right now if God hasn't led you through a set of circumstances or brought a person into your life or created or allowed some tension to occur so that you hit the pause button on your normal everyday life and you say, what's up with that? Because I think God does that on a pretty regular basis in all of our lives. And the reason he does it is no matter where you are or no matter what you've been into, God is saying, I've just been right here with you the whole time, just waiting for you to see me. And maybe we have to help him. But I'm going to conclude it with this last statement. Because they're astonished at his teaching. He taught them as one who had authority. Not like the religious leaders. What was it about Jesus? That when he showed up. People paid attention. It was because he embodied within himself. You ever been, you ever been around a person like this? Who's trying to tell you something. They're trying to persuade you about something. And you know them well enough that they've lived it? I mean, you just hear in their voice a sense of authority, don't you? But that person knows what they're talking about. That person has a deep understanding. They've, 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 they've been a few places and they got the scars to show it and the weight of what they say makes you hang on every word. And they didn't know Jesus' background. They just know that when he spoke, 
There was layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of substance that was about the things of God. And when you use that word authority, embedded in that word authority is the word author. Which means that the substance of what he said was authored from within. It was him telling his story. Not somebody else's story, but his story. And his story was going against the grain of the religious story of the day. Pretty much just polar opposites as you read through the book of Mark. And already they're starting to arrest people. But he's saying, they say the story goes like this, but the story I'm authoring goes like this. And when it comes to you and I, and we hear that, truth be told, honestly, we are all part of some kind of story that is of our own making. Things that we say, that's what I choose to allow to define me. Those are the people that I choose to hang out with to help influence me. These are the kind of hobbies that I have that people would say that's what you do in your free time. These are the things I do in the darkness that are also part of my story. And God's looking at that story and he's saying, how are you doing authoring your own story? And you may be saying, well, I'm doing pretty good. But you step back and you look at it and you say, you know, I'm not liking the way this story's going. I think it needs a change. But I'm not very good, if I'm honest, about writing stories, especially when I'm the main character. And Jesus looks at us and he says... When I speak the words that I'm speaking, be honest. Do they resonate with you at a deep level? And I think if you read through the Gospels, you find that when you read them, they're different. But man, do they draw you in. And when they do, you're like, you know what? I'm going to incorporate some of that into my own story. That's some pretty good stuff. I'm going to do some Bible reading and I'm going to do some church and the story that is Leonard Moore is also going to have fastened to it because this is good stuff. But let me tell you about Jesus' way of storytelling and inviting us into it. You hang around him very long and your story becomes part of his story. And then you end up going to the Dominican Republic. You end up going to speak to a neighbor that you've hated up to that point. You end up finding yourself having weird conversations that you never thought you would ever have in laundromats. And you discover that somebody hijacked my story. Oh, but it was Jesus, so it's all good. And maybe you could look at it that way. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, my story could probably use a, a plot twist change. I'd even let him hijack it. Because where I'm going with it now isn't so special. And you know what Jesus has told us up until now? Is that the religious way that many people are taught is probably not the right way. I'm not saying that 
in our case, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But if it's centered around a series of rules and gatekeepers that keep you away from God based on their determination, then I would say just be careful. If it's centered around the person of Jesus and you making a relational connection with him and you start to define that relationship through the reading of his word, then I would say you're probably on the right track. And he's probably going to do some rewriting of your story. And you're probably five years from now, ten years from now, eternity from now, saying, thank you, Lord, that you did show your face to me in such small ways initially and in such big ways over time. And all we're trying to do here is to invite you into a story that's hijacked many of our stories in the best way that a story can be hijacked because it is so worth it. Because here's someone who we can't see yet becomes very obviously present in so many ways when that capacity that we lost a long time ago in the garden is reset and we begin to see him all over the place in the lives of other people in the experiences that we have in the way that he works things together for good in the frustrations that we work through with perseverance that end up with joy in all the subtle ways that we train our minds to comprehend this is God at work and I'm going to trust the processes that he's shown me so that I can see him more clearly I don't know how to invite you into that process any other way except to just lay it out and say the reason why we're telling this good news is because it still stands it still applies it still matters and probably in the time that we're living in right now it is the only thing that matters it's the only thing that will give us an, a sense of of, of, of stability in a very unstable world. Nothing that can establish our lives in something that is permanent and definite and yet offer us the freedom to do so many different things. But it's really not a thing at all. It's a relationship with him. And I want to invite you into that relationship today if possible so that you can know what it is that maybe words can't say very well. And that's him.